HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Um, Before we get started today, I just want to make a quick announcement. Uh, Next week on September 11th, we're going to be having a uh, brewmaster dinner over at La Picho Restaurant with Garrett Oliver, the uh, brewmaster of the Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, I know there are a few tickets left, so head over to the La Picho website, uh, com, and you can click on the link there to purchase tickets. All right. Um, so I am extremely excited today. I have uh, not only... Uh, someone I look up to uh, very, very much in the industry, but uh, someone who I, I consider to be a good friend. Um, uh, we have Bobby Stuckey, the master sommelier, um, the, the co-owner of Frosca Pizzeria Locale, and the just recently opened uh, pizzeria in Denver. Uh, Bobby, what's the name of that, the one in Denver? It's, it's also Pizzeria Locale. Uh, also Locale, the Locale to Denver. Uh, well, Bobby, welcome on the show. I'm, so, I'm super excited to have you on. Thanks a lot, Joey. Uh, it's 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 really an honor. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, we had Mr. Steve Wildey on, I uh, of the Vetri Restaurant Group. I met Steve uh, because of you. Uh, you. You brought both of us over to Friuli. Friuli is a region northeastern Italy, near and dear to uh, to your heart. Um, and your restaurant Frasca is is based on uh, on Friulian cuisine. Uh, Bobby, tell us how did you get into what what is it about Friuli? How did you get into into Friuli? You know, Friuli, it was a, you know, well, first of all, Friuli is a region that you're, you nailed it on the head. It's really dear to Lachlan and R's heart and to the, to the restaurant of Frosca Food and Wine and, and everyone who works there. And it was a journey that started really, you know, if you're studying to be a master sommelier, you're studying about all wine regions and how I would study, you'd study about, let's say if you studied about Alsace, 
wouldn't just study about Riesling, Pinot Gris, Gewurz, and Muscat. You would study about really the food, the culture, what happens there. And, I mean, that was probably the first way I, I found out about Friuli was just studying about northern Italian white wines as part of, the, you know, being a sommelier. And uh, then Lachlan and I, over a decade ago, started uh, going there and, and researching it and fell in love with it. And, and it's it ended up being a really... Well, A, fun journey, B, fulfilling, but also I think it really helped make Frosca a better restaurant because it has given us something to kind of hammer on, hammer down on, and now that the restaurant's been open nine years, keep improving. So it gives us something as a touchstone to always go back to, and it's been a really great journey. Well, uh, congratulations. Nine years is uh, a feat for a restaurant. Uh, and huge congratulations this year for winning the uh, James Beard Award for Best Wine Service. Lachlan has a, Lachlan the chef has a has, uh, James Beard under his belt as well. So uh, you guys are, are just killing it uh, over in Boulder. And I, I tell anyone who's anywhere near Boulder, if you're in Denver, it's it's worth it to it, it's a, a destination restaurant. Uh, it's completely an, an incredible, amazing experience. I have uh, friends who go back, any who travel to Denver, and uh, anytime they're in Denver, they they make the trip over to Boulder because it's uh it's just a, an amazing experience. So congratulations on on all of that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's back, let's back it up. So uh, you and Lachlan met years ago while working at the French Laundry. Yes. And so I was the wine director there, and he was working in the kitchen there. And we met there, uh, I guess it would be 13 years ago. Wow. Over 13 years ago, yeah. And French Laundry, obviously one of the greatest restaurants in, in the country, in, in the world. Uh, how did you get to that point? What What brought you to seek out the French Laundry um, and to, to, to follow this path of the restaurant industry? Well, um, well, that's a two-point question. Let's start off with how did I get into the restaurant industry. I started bussing tables uh, freshman year in high school, which would have been 30 years ago this month. I started bussing tables in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it's interesting. I'm still bussing tables. Um, not a lot has changed, just... Uh, you wear a nicer uh, suit. Yeah, I wear a nicer suit, exactly. <laughs> and um, But uh, so that, I, that's how I got into the restaurant business, and hospitality is something I really, I, I really truly love, and being a master sommelier is just one piece of the whole hospitality equation. How I got to the French Laundry was... By that time, I was working as the wine director at the Little Mel in Aspen, Colorado. And, uh, you know, everybody in the mid to late 90s eyeball was on Yonville and on what Thomas Keller and Laura Cunningham were doing at the French Laundry and their whole staff front and back of the house. And uh, I had eaten at the French Laundry. It must have been in 1997 or 1998 was thoroughly just blown away, like, wow, what a, there's just nothing like this going on at that moment in the United States. And, and I was living in Aspen, working at, at the Little Mel. And truth be told, Aspen is a, a wildly expensive city. I was about to get married to my, my wife, Danette, and uh, we, I just moved her to Aspen, and I get this phone call, and uh, they were looking for a position at the French Laundry, and my name had came up, 
And so I called and put my name in the hat, and uh, I was really never thinking to leave the Little Mill. It was a great position, but uh, I have to say when my name came up to put my name in the hat for um, French Laundry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, you don't turn uh, down. You don't turn down that yeah. position. Um, and and tell us a little bit about your your time there. How how long were you there? Obviously, this was a, a very influential time for you because uh, at least because you you met your future business partner Lachlan. Well, yeah. I mean, we it was. Inf- I think anybody who works at the French Laundry, no matter which era it is, if it was that era then or the or now, you take a lot away from that that experience. And, um, you know, we just had Chef Ryan Poley from Chicago who worked there when we did in uh, DeFrosca the other night and he was having dinner and we always joke that it's kind of like uh, it's like uh, being an alumni from some place. You, you, you carry that with you forever. But a couple things I took away from the French Laundry that really shaped me forever was one thing, and I'm still trying to capture this magic that Thomas had was um, Thomas made it very clear what we were doing. And that was clear to everybody from whoever raked the, the, the pea gravel in the, back, in the back parking lot to whoever was the front server, whoever was in charge of meat station, chef de cuisine. Everybody was on the same path. And in a very strange way, even though it was a very hard place to work, meaning how many hours you worked, it was also a very easy place to work because you knew exactly what you were doing there. And I think a lot of us talk about it being really hard working there. And I think if you, if you reflect back to it, yes, the hours and the intensity were hard, but there's a lot of things that made the French Laundry easy because you, everyone knew what you were doing. Everyone knew why they were at the French Laundry. And at that time when I was there, it was to be the number one restaurant in the world, which it was from the Pellegrino Award or whatever they used to call it before the Pellegrino Award. And everyone knew what they were doing there. And it was really exciting. And what was that mission? To to create excellence? To Yeah, to create excellence. And really just to create an experience for a guest. And that there's just so much to take away from that. Like... It's to create an experience for a guest, and and I I think about that. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like um, driving to Denver to work at Pizza Locale Denver, and I was thinking about the 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 restaurant industry, not not Frosca, not Pizza Locale, the industry in in general. And I was thinking about uh, some notes for a, a future pre-service meeting because I do, I do pre-service every night before. Uh, before uh, service, and I was thinking about whoever created this front of the house, back of the house friction or atomosity, or what, and every restaurant has it to some extent. And you know, everyone wants to talk about well, it's because front of the house makes more money, or back of the house works harder, or what, whatever it is. And I was like, in my drive down to to, to Denver to work at Locale, and and mind you. Me being in a car driving to work is a new thing because in Boulder I would get to ride my bike to work. So here I am, like thinking about it, and I was like, "Wait a second! There should never be a front of house, back house rift because really, in our industry, it should all be about the guests and the guest experience. And if everyone is working 
lockstep for that, you would never be thinking in front of the back of the house. Everyone from the dishwasher to the maitre d' would be thinking about that gas, and boom, you would get, you'd all be realize you were so much on the same team. Everything would become easier. Right, and everyone's job is 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 important. Uh, it's yeah. extremely important. You can't. You know, you can't get rid of a dishwasher and run service anymore. It's over. So you want to support everyone, and you realize that once you, once once you are uh, helping your teammates out, whether they're in the front of the house or back of the house, you guys all have the same goal, and then things are going to get done. Yeah, I think you just nailed a, a great word, teammate, and that's something maybe we should all use more. I don't, I don't work in another profession, but in the food and beverage business, a teammate. Instead of a workmate, we're all on a team, and our team should be thinking only about the guests. And that's all sides of the house. And if we all did that, things would be so much easier and so much more rewarding and, and so much cleaner. You know, I mean, if, if everyone's thinking about that guest, there is no, there is no um, star on the team. It's all about that team taking care of the guests. And I have to say, I, I had the pleasure of sitting in on one of your uh, your pre shifts. I've never, I've never experienced a pre shift that is uh, is done so well. That is, uh, it's such a, a careful, thought out uh, pre shift. Uh, it, it's something that I tried to to bring back, but can never replicate. You're really outstanding at doing that that pre shift meeting, uh, and I, I think that I know you've had other sommeliers. Uh, uh, sit in on it. I think there, there's a lot to be learned by the way you conduct a pre-shift. Well, thank you very much. You know, I don't even, I mean, I don't think of it that way. I just think of that's how I get ready for service, and, and thanks, and thanks for saying that. That means a lot. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're at uh, the French Laundry, and you decide that you and Lachlan, you guys really hit it off, um, and you want to open up a restaurant together. Uh, what brought you back to Colorado, and and why Boulder? I, you know, after uh, the the experience that you guys have had at that time, Little Nell, you know, the French Laundry, many years in the industry, you, you probably could have gone anywhere. Um, what brought you to Boulder? Well, um, a couple things. You know, we were looking for lifestyle, and I don't think Boulder actually came up, um, but lifestyle did, and Danette's dad was living in denver um so we want you know that was a little bit of a piece of it colorado really intrigued us uh, and we were back here Lachlan and i looking in denver and we happened to be up in boulder on a wednesday when the farmer's market was going on and and there's something really just boulder's a magical little city there's not a lot, a lot of cities like that of its size and it's um you know, it's like one of the most highly educated cities in the world, like most postgraduate degrees. Um, but at the same time, there's a funkiness to it. There's a, but there's also a polish to it. Um, and we just happened to stumble upon it. We both knew of Boulder and both been there, but we had never been there thinking, could we work here? And uh, that's, we just happened to be here out looking around in Denver, and we were like, wow, could we do a restaurant here? And I think if we would have fast-forwarded 10 years later, I don't think we would have been brave enough to do what we did because it is hard having a restaurant in a city of 100,000 people where the next 
city that you can pull really guests from is 35 minutes away. I mean, that, that's definitely a, a harder thing to do. And, uh, but it's, it's been really great for us. Yeah. Yeah. And do you find that people are coming from Denver? Are they making that trip or is it? Yeah. About a third of our guests, about a third of our guests every night drive up from Denver. Jeez. So what were those early stages like? There's nothing, uh, from what I can tell, uh, there, that, that is a very new type of restaurant to, or at the time was to, to Boulder. Uh, there are a bunch of great restaurants, but I think maybe, and tell me if I'm, uh, if I'm wrong on this, but maybe you elevated the level of, of, of service and, and maybe even uh, the, the price point uh, of the restaurants there. Um, well, I, I, wouldn't, I personally am not comfortable to say that we elevated service or dining. Um, uh, but I, I could say that we maybe we're the first restaurant to take reservations seriously. <laughs> um, it was not a town that really it was a it's a very relaxed town, and uh, when we opened up and took reservations, it was uh, it was really interesting. Um, it wasn't part of the culture to to call in for a reservation, and it's funny nine years later, you still see that that a Boulderite is less likely to really, I don't even want to say the word understand, but use reservations because all the other restaurants are used to being walk-in versus a Denverite. They're the same people. They both live in Colorado. They can have the, the same everything. But a Denverite, no problem. Six o'clock reservation, see you at six. Matter of fact, I'll see you at 5.59. The, the a Boulderite had a... I wouldn't say had a problem, but just making reservations just wasn't part of their DNA. Yeah. So those those were the interesting parts of that. But it, it's been great, and and it's been great being part of the restaurant community here because it really has has grown in the last nine years. There's a lot of other people who have helped do that. The, the kitchen does a great job, mm-hmm. and a couple of our employees, uh, former employees. Uh, Brian Dayton, Steve Redzikowski opened Oak, and they've done a great job. It's been a really great community to be part of. Yeah, it's a. I, I had a great time when I was out there. And a fantastic meal at, at the kitchen, and definitely looking to, to try uh, to try Oak as well. And you have a lot of your disciples who've got, kind of gone out uh, in the world. Um, we have uh, your boy Grant he is yeah. here in New York, killing it at, at Charlie Bird. Went there recently for a delicious. Uh, delicious dinner and uh, they were packed on a like a tuesday night in the at the end of august so uh they're doing really really well uh as well so what were some of the things about friuli that that you wanted to bring back and uh surprised you as to how well they did and what were some of the things about friuli that you wanted to bring back and and really didn't didn't work out uh the way you were thinking well something that we loved that uh we never thought would become so much part of the culture is Frico. You know, you see Frico and Friuli. A Frico is a dish. You pretty much can have it every day in some sort of incarnation. But uh, like Frico called those a dish where it's uh, uh, sweated onions, uh, steamed potatoes, and Montazio cheese from the Carnic Alps. And, uh, you know, you see it over there, and it kind of looks like, you know, wow, okay, thanks. And I've got some hash browns. Uh, this looks like it could be off Sunday brunch somewhere. 
but it really is a, a stable of uh, food there. And it's really rustic. And Lachlan's like, do we got to always have Frico on the menu? I said, yeah, of course. I never thought that Frico would be something that, once you're a regular at Frosca, it's never been off our menu. And it ha I mean, there's guests who have it, have had it literally 120 times. They just, they just resonate with that as part of their Frosca experience so much so. Yeah. And, you know, that's a long time running of every time you come in having a uh, sharing Frico with your, your fellow diners. And uh, I never thought that that would be a dish that would become so iconic for us. I mean, that um, sounds like a, a wine pairing dream of a dish as well. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's, and it's also a wine pairing dream for the white wines of Friuli Venezia Giulia, too, you know, because Friulano wines have this different gearing. You know, there's a, there's a weight and... There's a weight and richness and texture, not unlike Austrian wine from the Vajau, and but acidity also, and it goes great with Frico. Right. Fantastic. All right, I'm going to ask you a few more uh, wine pairing questions, uh, and I want to hear all about Pizzeria Locale, uh, but first we have to take just a quick break, and we'll be right back on In the Drink uh, today with Bobby Stuckey of Frasca and Pizzeria Locale. I like the way you do Whoa, the way you took it so slow And I, I, I've been so satisfied no, I Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edward's Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edward's name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. We're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org with Bobby Stuckey of uh, Frasca Food and Wine, uh, Pizza Locale. And uh, I haven't mentioned this, actually, of the uh, uh, line of wines, the Scarpetto wines, which we proudly pour at uh, pretty much all of our restaurants by the glass. Um, so you've got your hands full, Bobby. A little bit, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was not thinking of doing anything else in the near future. Danette, my wife, might kill me. Well, you have a, you have a good team with uh, with, with Lachlan and uh, and Danette. I know she's helped me out quite a bit, and, and your your team at the restaurants are they're pretty amazing. Yeah, I feel really lucky. I mean, I just we've just I think we 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 attract a certain person who wants to be in a really professional environment, but to live in a place like Boulder and Boulder ends up being a great calling card for people and um, way more so than our restaurant. So we have people who are like, they might be living in San Francisco or New York or wherever and they might be like, God, I need a, a lifestyle change. God, Boulder looks great. Oh, look, there's uh, you know a restaurant there that's that's been nationally talked about. I'm going to put my resume in there and that, that really helps. You know, and it makes our, all of our lives a lot easier. Yeah, uh, I I loved how you had this combination of it being a, a 
it, it's, it feels like you have everything that you can get in, in a city from, you know, good restaurants and cafes and, 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 and all this stuff. But also, you're so close to nature. I, uh, when I stayed there, I went for a run in the morning and it was like running in the, the mountains and the hills and forests and, and then was right in, you know, right in the city for, uh, for dinner at Frasca. And it's this great combination of both of those things. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's like really dreamlike. I, I want to ask you, I noticed that you, when you refer to, uh, the region that the restaurant is based on, you use the full name of Friuli Venezia Giulia. Um, I know a lot of people use the shorthand of just Friuli. Why, just out of curiosity, why do you, why do you feel it's important to use the full name? Well, um, it's not like I'm a stickler on it at all. But sometimes if I'm talking to, you know, like I don't know who's listening, and maybe it takes them a second to understand the word Friuli, at least uh, maybe if someone's listening on, on the interview, it's, it's nice for me once in a while to say Friuli Venezia Giulia so if they want to look it up, it's easier for them to find out what, where we're talking about, you know, or uh, if they're looking in a book or whatever after the interview, mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier for them. Um, that's one reason. And two reasons, really, uh, to be respectful for you, Venezia Julia, is uh, our three cultures that might all want to be discussed in the same sentence. But most importantly, uh, I'm fine saying for you, or for you, Venezia and Julia, but I... I do want to say it a couple of times, just in case someone's out there listening, wants to to maybe look into it, and they're having problems finding it, or they can't understand what we just said, or couldn't understand how to spell it, uh, something like that. Hmm. I think that makes uh, because that makes it is it's a pretty. I mean, now that you've been there, it's a pretty undiscovered area. You know, it's pretty crazy that you're so close to Venice, where five million Americans go a year, and like fifty Americans go to Friuli. You, you took us there for a week. I didn't see a single American, and you can be in Venice for a minute, and you, they're all yeah. over the place. Yeah, uh, it's really, I mean, it's so many people at, you know, and you, you're in the Italian aesthetic also, Joe, and, and think about how many times you have a guest say, hey, I'm going to Italy. I want to go somewhere undiscovered. Well, really, that's Friuli. That's the, the, the really undiscovered Italy. Yeah, and I think your point about it being so close to Venice means that it's it's really accessible as well. It's not like you have to take three you know three different flights and you're connecting and you know you're taking a, a boat. Yeah, it's it's a direct flight to Venice and then a pretty short trip over there. Yeah, it's really within everyone's grasp. I always say about the same amount of time that you get in an argument with your wife in the piazza. Uh, San Marco, trying to find your hotel in Venice, you could have taken a right turn out of the Marco Polo Airport at Venice, and you'd be in Friuli. Yeah, it's, that's so close. It's uh, it's super easy. One of the things that uh, that attracted me to uh, to Friuli and uh, why I was so excited to go is the proliferation of different wine styles there. It's it's. Not at all, and, and you touched on this before with it being different cultures, but it's not a homogenous kind of aesthetic that people are going for. You have the the, the people who are doing like like John Paul Venica, those fresh, crisp, clean, all stainless steel wines. There's people who are looking towards more of the international style, something that's a little bit riper. The whole natural wine movement is going there with skin macerated wines, and and I think in all of those different styles, and, and even more uh, that you. 
that people are operating at the top of their game. And so it baffles me too that that especially wine tourists aren't, you know, flocking to this area where these are the most thrilling white wines of Italy. Well, you you just nailed two things, Joe, right on the head. First of all, unequivocally, it's not because I have a restaurant based on Friuli Venezia Giulia. It is the best white wine region in Italy. Yeah, there's really good and great white wines in Alto Adige, for sure, and, and other parts of Italy. But pound for pound, there's there's no way to beat Friuli Venezia Giulia in that because there's so many different styles that hit on a high level. But also what's so amazing that you you pointed out is that it's the only place in the world that is so diverse, but everyone's right in their own way. Meaning, you can be on a block or a, a road, and you might go to three wineries, and you might go to someone like John Paolo Venica, who, as you, you pointed out, is making this very fresh style on, on top of the world in that aromatic white style. And you might go to someone like... Um, Serena Palazzola, Ronco de Nemitz, and it's more in a more wood-inflected, but still non-mallow, crisp, like taut style, but but just a little bit uh, uh, more wood-inflected than, than Jampalo. And then you might go see someone who's doing a macerated wine, and they're all in the same, you know, day's visit, and they're so totally different. You know, if you go to it's hard if you go to Burgundy or, or Napa Valley or Bordeaux to see three different meditations. You know, if you're in Napa Valley, you might see the same meditation, but maybe just different toasts on the oak. You know, I mean, that's like what something's, you know, considered different. I mean, it's so, so special for a wine person to go there and really get to see so many different styles. And the great part about it is most of the times when you're there, who you're meeting with is the person who has a lot to do with the winemaking. That's another thing. It's like how many times you go to a wine region, especially a, a more a bigger, more commercial wine region, and the person showing you around is the the export director or the the the, uh, the tasting, tasting room, room manager, manager right? <laughs> and, and they're great people, and they know a lot, but. If you're really a wine nerd, would, I, I prefer to be talking to, and tasting wine with the person who really not only understands the winery inside and out, might understand vintages for the last 10, 20 years and can, can talk to you about things that maybe someone who's a great tasting room manager doesn't have the same it's not that they're not really knowledgeable. They just don't have the same metis with. Right. So, And these smaller producers like Ronco del Niemitz, for instance, you know, they don't have a, a tasting room with normal hours, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, if someone was going to go visit one of these smaller producers in Friuli, what would you recommend for them to do to uh, to have that, that kind of experience that we're, you know, that we're talking about? And you're not just tasting the wines and then they're trying to sell you them at the end it's it's more of understanding the 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 vineyards and the 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 idea behind the wine well what i would do uh two things it's a lot easier now than it was a decade ago because a lot of people have websites uh the first thing is just google the winery that you want to go to and email them directly to set up an appointment that works out really really well 
because a lot of wineries have have websites now. Uh, two, uh, if you're interested, and anyone who's listening, they can feel free to email me at Bobby, B-O-B-B-Y, at froscafoodandwine.com. And uh, I have this just little PDF document of how to travel around Friuli that I put together after many guests asking me how to go. It's, it's kind of, Joe, like it's kind of like an itinerary of what we did. I took an itinerary of things that I like to do over there, like going to Grotto and eating fish or going to La Sabita and all those things. I put it into a document with phone numbers of the restaurants and, and phone numbers of a lot of wineries in there. Um, so if anyone wants that, they can always email me too. Wow, that's huge. And we'll definitely make sure that, uh, that we... Uh We'll, we'll put that on the on the Twitter and, and, and all of that so you guys have that. But that's a huge uh, thank you very much. Very generous yeah, of you to, to offer that to our, to our listeners. Um, it, something I did want to ask you about is I feel like many Somalis have these visions of one day perhaps wanting to uh, have their own wine of some, some style. Uh, some actually leave the restaurant industry and, and go do that full time. Um, you, you've done something, uh, you know, somewhat unique and, uh, you're making some wine in Italy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how that, how that came about, uh, and how you're able to maintain such a high quality, um, from the other side of the pond? Because, uh, we're, like I said, we pour it, we pour the wines at, at Lartuzzi, uh, by the glass, La Picho by the glass, Delanima by the glass, where we, we love, uh, your, your Scarpetta wines, especially that, that Timido, um, uh, which is a sparkling rosé and, and the Barbera. Uh, I think I, I sent you an email a few weeks ago. We sold 20 bottles of the Barbera in one night at La Picho. I know. I, sh- I showed that to Lachlan. Lachlan's like, whoa, you what's got- going on there? Lachlan's like, What's happening over there? We got to come on. Um, and, and thanks a lot for the support. Um, yes, a lot of us want to get into the wine industry, and, and we all do it from a different, a different pitch and angle. And, and I have to say, Lachlan and I were really helped out by, by Richard Betts, who is a master sommelier, a uh, really dear friend of mine. When we first started meditating about just, we just wanted to do, at that time it was still called Tokai, a little Tokai, a.k.a. now Friolano, Richard was really helpful in us doing that. And he kind of said, okay, look, Bobby, I know you. You and Lachlan don't like being away that much from the restaurant, so how are we going to, you know, work on this for you? And and he gave us a lot of really great advice. Um, And we took kind of that ball and and, and ran with it. And, And a lot of that advice was, and I do want to backstep. I don't think we could have done it as successfully had we not had a restaurant based on Friuli Venezia Giulia because there's not a lot of people over there and the doors are really open to us. We have so many great friends over there. Um, and, you know, we started working with uh, uh, a friend of ours who we already knew, uh, Christian Patat, who is, is now, he wasn't at the time, but he's now married to Serena, the owner of Ronco de Nemitz, and, and and they have been such great partners and, uh, A, they're great friends, but they're just great partners with us, and they really understand us and what we're looking for quality-wise. And, you know, we get a lot of our, uh, we get all of our Friolano and all of our Sauvignon Blanc from them. Uh, we get our 
they they're in charge of the vineyard that we get our our, our Franconia and Pinot Nero from for our Timido, and uh, they helped us uh, start our partnership with uh, uh, Lucas Serk for our Pinot Grigio, and uh, they really have been great with us. Where um, it would be like any other profession that you know, if you're a winery owner, you might not be the one making all the wine, but you're you're working with the winemaking team, and that's really what we do, and. Um, They've been just invaluable to us. And I have to say, it's not only been a lot of hard work, it's been a lot of fun work, too. I mean, it's like, they're just such great people. And so what is your uh, what is your year of uh, being involved with the wine like uh, in, in terms of the Scarpetta label? I know it's something that you and Lachlan um, work on together as well as your, your partners in, in Italy, but how often are you going there? How, how, how does that... How does it all work? We go there a few times a year, and usually we get a bonus round. I do because Danette and I like to go over to Italy. We we tag on another extra vacation trip there a year, also, and then so we work with them as our partnership, and then our job, Lachlan and our job, and and I should say Lachlan does most of the heavy lifting with this, is managing distribution here. In the United States of those wines that w- that we're making with our partners over there, and and uh, you know, it's interesting. You go there, you go you go there and chat. You're there a few different times a year at all different times of the year for different reasons. You know, you might be going there uh, right after harvest just to see how everything ended up right after harvest. You might go there in. Uh, June or July to to check in with all your growers. You might be talking to them on the phone once a week. You might be going over there in uh, in the winter to to taste how everything is developing in cask. So you go there for different times for different reasons too. So it's it's work, but it's uh, going over to Italy to to talk about wine is uh, you know it's 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 not it's not like going to a cubicle. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. The only tough time I've ever had in Italy, um, ever, had nothing to do with my wine. It had to do with drinking wine with Niccolo uh, Monferrari of Borgo di Tiglio, what, one of my favorite white wine producers. The guy's awesome. But um, we were over there to work on Scarpetta, and we had an afternoon free. And it, was, it must have been January or February, and... Um, we knocked on the door. Well, we had an appointment with Nick, uh, Nicole, and, and we we go, and he wants to show us around all of his vineyards for the next three hours, and and it's it's pretty brisk out. It's pretty cold out, but not like you know, I'm from Colorado. I think I'm okay. Got like a little jacket on and a, and a sweater and a scarf, and and Lachlan probably had his pajamas on. Probably forgot to dress. You know, he's a little absent-minded and. We get out there with Nikola, and, and he gets out of his car, and he is in. You would have thought he was like a Russian oligarch with this, like, enormous coat on. And we're out for the next three hours in the vineyards. And I'm looking at Lachlan, who's Canadian, so he should be able to be okay with cold weather. His lips are, like, blue, purple, so cold. And, 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 and Nikola's like, okay, we're going to drink some Studio Bianco. We're all excited. And Lachlan's like, can we can – we taste the one in your car where there's a heater, you know? So like the only unfun time we've ever had in Friuli was probably just 
freezing our tushes off with on Ferrari there. Wow. That, I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive because you go to Friuli quite a bit. Um, sadly we are, uh, we're running out of time. So, um, I didn't even get to, to ask you as much as I want to about, uh, the pizzeria locale, but, um, the, the pizzas that I had at, at locale in Boulder, are uh some of the best pizzas i've ever had uh, uh d- definitely domestically um but the, they're 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 truly extraordinary um uh, we're gonna have to have you back on the on the show for uh for a, a pizzeria uh yeah a pizzeria q a love to thanks so and, much for having me yeah and congrats on uh on denver uh pizzeria locale denver that is that is awesome um and uh, on and on the Scarpetta wines and the huge James Beard win this year, um, we were pulling for you and pulling for our other friends. There are a lot of great people who were uh, who were nominated. So huge congratulations! Thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah, thanks so well, much. Well deserved. Uh, and and thanks to all of you for listening. This has been in the drink on Heritage Radio Network dot org. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 